The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. I was about to say, no one ever cheers for me, but I take it back. I take it back. You know, like I said, I love it. Love it. We'll see if the second service is as cool as the first service. Probably not, but that's, we all knew that all along, right? So, hey, before, um, before we jump into our sermon today, I wanted to actually give you a quick financial update on the life of our church. And um, we don't do this a lot, but just wanted to let you as a church family know where we are at. Our fiscal year actually begins at the church on July 1. So that means, believe it or not, it is May. It's been May all week. It is May. So that means we basically have two months left to go in our fiscal year. And I just want to say thank you um, from our elders on behalf of all of us on the generosity of our congregation. We are so encouraged. We are above giving of where we were last year and the amount. We have more people who are giving to the life of our church than we did last year. And so we are so encouraged by, by your faithfulness and your generosity. Did want to let you know that about a year ago, this time last year, our elders made a few strategic decisions that actually gave a larger than normal increase into this year's budget. And those decisions were primarily staffing decisions. As you can guess, the main monies that we spend as a church is to support the staff who lead and carry on the ministries of our church. And last year, this time, we actually brought on over last summer two new full-time staff. We transitioned a staff member from part-time to full-time, and so it was a larger increase. And so we, with two months left to go in the fiscal year, are right now approximately $200,000 short on budgeted giving of where we were hoping to be. We are fully trusting in God. He has provided faithfully this for this church for decades, and we know he will continue to. But just wanted to make you as a church family aware of where we are at. If you are a part of Morgan Hill Bible Church, if this is your church family, this is your home, I just want to ask you just to pray and ask God, what, what could you have us do to help continue with the ministries that are happening here? I, as a pastor, I am so excited for what God is doing here. We are a month away from having 200 plus kids in this space for day camp all week long. We have over 150 teenagers going to Hume again this summer. We have the magnificent problem on Sunday mornings. This space is a little too full. Some of you like like your elbow room. I get it. I like it too, right? You like the man space between you. There's not always that, right? So we have the great problem that so many people are coming to our services that we're working on what that would look like. And so, so I just want to just ask you, just ask God, what, what, what could we as a family do? What could I do to continue to support and partner with the work as we continue on this mission that God has given us as a church family to connect people into a vital relationship with Jesus? Well, this morning, as we dive into our sermon, I invite you to, to open your Bible to the book of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We are in the middle, actually, we are four weeks through our seven-week series looking at the I Am statements in the Gospel of John. This week, we're actually going chronologically to the very first of those statements that occurs in the book in John chapter 6. Do you remember where you were or when it was that you had this horrible realization, which normally comes sometimes in early adulthood, I remember where I was, that you had to actually pay attention to what you were eating? Do you remember that? I remember as one of the blessings of being a teenager, you don't have many cares in life in general. And you certainly, at least for me, I didn't have any care about what, 
how much or when I ate. Anything and everything I could eat, and it didn't matter, right? That, there's a beautiful thing when, when it, your, your body's just running like that, right? You, pastries, ice cream, a bajillion tacos, it didn't matter, right? Just eat it all. That's the glories of being a teenager. For me, it actually, it wasn't the freshman 15. For a lot of us, that's probably when it was. For me, it was my sophomore year. It was near the end of the, the fall semester. And, you know, as a college kid, full confession time here, um, I probably didn't do my laundry as much as I should have. That's a normal college kid thing, right? And so, so I was like looking for some clean clothes because I was about to go home for the semester, right? Like, can I get by for another week? And I remember I found a pair of jeans I hadn't worn in a while. I'm like, these are clean. And I went to pull them on and it was like, why, why don't they come up? They must have shrunk. That's the problem. There's something wrong with these pants. The, 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 the pants fault, not my fault. And suddenly I realized like, oh, I... I probably shouldn't. My roommate at the time worked at Starbucks. And so every night he would bring home multiple cookies, donuts, and pastries. And I would eat multiple cookies, donuts, and pastries at like midnight every night before I went to bed. I, I probably can't do that anymore. Right? And we, we get this phrase that, that and it kind of goes around, you are what you eat. Right? You are what you And we get that doesn't mean literally, right? I'm not showing up to you this morning as a piece of pizza, full confession. I don't always eat healthy anymore. Right? That was last night's dinner. But, but if you eat healthy, generally that will produce a healthy body. And if you eat junk, you will reap the benefits of it. And it's this idea of you are what you eat that Jesus leans into in this I am statement that we're going to look at this morning in John chapter six. Now, as is the case in basically all these I am statements, Jesus just doesn't say these out of thin air, right? But they come in the context of his life, of the stories. And this one in particular follows up closely on a miracle that Jesus has just done. In the beginning of the the book of John, in John chapter six, in the beginning of this chapter, if you have your Bible, you can look there. We're just gonna summarize. Jesus does a miracle. He has been teaching on the side of the Sea of Galilee. It says there's a crowd of 5,000 men, which means it's likely between 10 and 14, 15,000 total people. They measured their crowds by adult men back then. Why? Because that's the army that you could raise from the crowd. That's why they measured it that way. Nothing against women and children, right? But, but there was that many people there. They are hungry. They're late in the evening. Jesus asked his disciples, hey, you should do something about this. They're like, Jesus, we don't have enough money to feed them. What are you talking about? And Jesus is like, well, just go see what they have. There's a kid who has five loaves of barley, two fish. Jesus is like, perfect. That's all we need. The disciples are like, he's crazy. We're sorry. Takes it, blesses it, prays over it. It's distributed. Over 10,000 people are fed from these five loaves, these two fish. There are more leftovers at the end than there were at the beginning. And so this huge crowd of people sees this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. By the way, besides the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle recorded in all four of the gospels that record Jesus's life. So this is a significant event that Jesus does this miracle. Afterwards, he sends his disciples away. In John, it's a very short miracle right before this where he comes, he casually walks on water to the other side, you know, just doing his Jesus things that he does sometimes. And we pick up the story the next day. We're now on, on the shores of Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. The less than maybe 12 hours, 14 hours, the next day after he has fed a crowd of 10 to 15,000 with just five loaves of bread. And it says this in John chapter six, verse 25. When they found him, On the other side of the sea, this is the crowds, they said to him, Rabbi, when when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. This morning, we're going to look at three lessons that Jesus gives in this, in this story to the crowds. And the first lesson, and we're going to see this flushed out, but he highlights it right away, is that Jesus is the one who brings lasting satisfaction. Jesus is the one who brings lasting satisfaction to our lives. The people are quick to show their motivation. Jesus sees right through it. Why did these crowds go and seek out and find Jesus again? Why did they travel so many miles to now find him? Well, it's because he met a very tangible need for their life. He fed them food, right? Jesus is saying, you are not motivated because you saw some sign from God, but because you ate your fill from the loaves. Now, before we totally condemn these people, We do not understand, most of us, if not all of us, do not understand what it's like to live in a hungry world. We don't live in a hungry world. If you live in California, we do not live in a hungry world. We're not driven by, we're not made compulsory decisions based on the things that we think we need to do simply to get something to put food in our stomach. Remember, I was listening to an interview a couple months ago of of someone who grew up in North Korea and escaped when she was 18. And they're asking about it. She said, I was hungry for 18 years. She's like, the things that drove people to do just to get a bite of food were horrible. She's like, that's what hunger drives you to do. And they lived in a hungry culture. They didn't have the supermarkets and the things that we have. And so someone who could provide for such a tangible need of theirs, food, they're like, we need to find this person. We need more food. And so they go and they seek after him and ask for this bread, that they, they want more of this bread. But Jesus kind of confuses them in the statement in verse 27. He's clearly playing here on a contrast between permanent things and temporary things. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. See, what he's saying is our search for significance and meaning and things in life will always lead to a desire and need for more. Nothing of this world, when we seek after it for meaning and satisfaction, will bring us permanent and lasting satisfaction that Jesus alone promises that he can and he will bring to them. He said, yes, you had your fill yesterday, and guess what? They woke up the next day hungry. They needed more of it. You know, this... um, this past week for three days, I had a, we had a great time. I had a privilege through our, our whole pastoral staff and a couple other ministry leaders. Eight of us were up at a conference together in the Sacramento area. And by the way, this has nothing to do with the sermon. We have an amazing staff team here in Morgan Hill Bible Church. And by the way, that's great. And also, you know, you can clap for them. Not just Anthony gets cheers. They can all get cheers. That's fair, right? Not only are they great, they're really fun to be around too. Just as an FYI, I really like them. They're a lot of fun. But there, there, there was this cool thing that happened and, and I did it because of a wise decision that I made over a year ago is um, I don't know if finding great restaurants is a spiritual gift, but if it is, Caleb Landon has that gift. Whatever it is from Jesus, Caleb has it. And so we go and as soon as we booked it, I just looked at him and said, Caleb, you're in charge of the food. He said, say no more. I got it. I've not eaten this much food since the last conference I was at with Caleb like a year ago. 
right? We, we ate such good food and it was such a good time together. Yet this amazing thing happened yesterday. I got hungry again, right? It didn't, I ate a ton of food Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, way more than I normally would. Yet Saturday, I'm still, I'm still hungry, right? It doesn't satisfy permanently. And all the things that we could seek for for fulfillment will bring moments of pleasure and happiness, but will not bring permanent satisfaction, that vacation that you've been looking forward to, that will, that will bring something, but not permanent. If you seek after it in sexual fulfillment, it will bring moments of pleasure, but it doesn't bring that permanent peace and meaning that you want. As the theologians Keith Richards and Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. Right? You're searching and you're seeking after, but you cannot find it. And Jesus is saying, in me is lasting satisfaction and meaning. That thing you are seeking, he says to the crowd, is not food, but it's truly a relationship with me, the living God. He put it this way to his disciples in John chapter 16, when he was about to go to the cross. He said, so also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus saying, when I'm resurrected from the dead, you will have such a joy, disciples, that no one can take that joy from you. And as followers of Jesus, we are promised that kind of permanent and lasting joy in life. But the reality is, if we look for satisfaction in the gifts rather than in the giver of the gifts, we will never find it. And too many of us are looking into and wanting to follow Jesus because what he's done for us or what we think he could do for us rather than simply who he is to us. Right? We, we, we love Jesus and these crowds follow Jesus. This is a good thing that you follow after Jesus. Why? Because they wanted more food. And if we're honest, too many people today follow after Jesus because of what they think God should do or can do for them. That's their primary motivation. See, we get that this doesn't work in an, any healthy relationship. That, that when, you, when you shouldn't have a relationship with someone simply for what they can do for you. See, if you're married... Your life consists of a lot of really exciting things like laundry and paying the bills and cooking food and taking out the trash. It's very ordinary life. And if you've been married for some time, you probably have kind of a system, right? Where he does this, she does that. And maybe at times it shifts, but you kind of find your routine. But once in a while, maybe something will happen where a spouse will get sick or they'll be gone on a trip. Or something will happen and you have to step in. And it's not like if suddenly you have to cook or you have to take out the trash. You're like, I don't love my wife anymore. I have to cook dinner tonight. Right? My husband is a joke. I have to do, no, you're like, understand. Well, no, that, that's just how things is. I love them for who they are, not simply for the things that they do for me. But some of us, it's like, oh man, I love Jesus because he's done this, he's done this, he's blessed me with this. And the moment Jesus takes away one of our blessings in life, we're like, what, 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 what happened? But why, why did you take that away? I don't, I don't like this at all. I don't, I don't actually know if I want to follow you anymore. And we haven't been following Jesus because of our commitment and love for him. See, a shallow commitment to Jesus is largely because our following him is therapeutic for so many people. It's what can you do, Jesus, to make me feel better? And the moment Jesus doesn't make us feel better or make us feel happy, we have a, a compromise of faith, this, this crisis in our lives. But Jesus comes to bring lasting fulfillment. And that's found not when we value the gifts, but when we value the giver of all good things, Jesus himself. So Jesus says, I've come to bring this food that endures to eternal life. The, the passage continues, verse 28. 
Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We're going to skip down to verse 47, where Jesus continues. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The second thing that Jesus is teaching the crowd is that Jesus's life comes through belief. Jesus's life that he offers to us, this eternal life, this abundant life, this bread of life that he has, it comes, it can be received by us through belief, through faith in Jesus. See, you see what he does here is, is he's referencing back and it's perfect because they actually bring it up to Jesus, right? He's fed them bread and then they're like, okay, what, what, what sign or what, what do we need to do? And Jesus says, well, you need to believe, right? You don't have to do anything. What you need to do is you need to place your faith in me. And they're like, yeah, but we need a sign that you're the one worth putting faith in. And he's like, do you remember 12 hours ago? I just, okay, okay. What, what sign do you want? What do they say? In verse 31, well, the sign is this. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, right? We, we were once provided manna from heaven. Our ancestors were, what do you have to bring to us? Now, they're referencing back there the, the, to the Israelites the time during the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 16. Early on in chapter 6, during the, the feeding of the 5,000, John makes this little note in verse 4 that the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And so that's significant for us to know. John just doesn't throw that out there just so we know what random holiday is coming. But so we know that the Passover celebration is on the mind of the people. And they celebrated the whole Passover event when God led them out of Egypt, sustained them in the land until they, in the wilderness, until they eventually got to the promised land. And one of the ways he sustained them in the wilderness was by providing manna for them. We see this manna, that this food provided for them documented in Exodus chapter 16. I'll just read a few verses. It's really the whole chapter talks about it. But in chapter 16, starting in verse 13, it said this. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Manna in Hebrew, manna literally translated means, what is it? They're like, what is it? And he's like, that's what it is. It's what is it, right? So what are you having for breakfast this morning? Some what is it? How about lunch? More what is it? How about dinner? More what is it? That's what I'm having, right? I don't know what it is, but it's this bread from God that he has given to us to eat. In the Jewish tradition, 
one of the signs of the Messiah to come. This isn't in the Bible, but in Jewish tradition, they thought the Messiah will bring manna from heaven. Just as God sent manna to his people, the Messiah will also bring manna from heaven. And Jesus is the fulfillment of what the manna was pointing to, God's provision of salvation for his people. But unlike the manna, which they had to go out and collect every single day, his provision for them is once and for all. It's complete and final. He's saying, look, you had to go and collect manna, but when you have me, the bread of life, and believe in me, it's not an everyday occurrence. It's once you do it, you will be permanently saved. There is salvation for all who place their faith in Jesus. See, one of the amazing things about Christianity is the permanence that we have when we place our faith in Jesus. See, it's unique to Christianity that our identity as a child of God, that someone who is forgiven, loved, and accepted by God is received through faith and never earned by anything that you have to do. That's unique amongst anything in the world that you could find your identity in. That when you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven, loved, and accepted by God no matter what. It doesn't depend on what you do tomorrow or what you did yesterday. It is true. In every other phase of life that you try and find your identity in, you only keep it if you continue to live to a certain level of expectations. You're a great business leader as long as your business continues to thrive. If it crashes, the world looks at you and says, well, nope, that's not where identity is anymore. Right? If you're a great mom or wife, it's great as long as your kids work a certain way. If you're a great dad or husband, it's great as long as your marriage looks a certain way. But then you run in difficulty, well, I'm not a great husband. Mom's like, well, I'm not a great mom. Look at what my kids did. And you can tell yourself, well, well, uh, this identity crisis, because it's only as long as I continue to live a certain way. See, in Jesus, he provides this permanence that we are forgiven, loved, and accepted by him no matter what. No matter what. I am the bread of life. Whoever believes has eternal life. See, just as manna provided for the people in Israel, God has now provided Jesus for us. And the amazing thing, when when Jesus compares himself back to this manna and says, okay, God gave you manna, I now give you myself, Jesus said, and I'm even better. We can learn more of what Jesus is meaning here by thinking about the wilderness experience that the people of Israel had. And one of the amazing things that Jesus is teaching through talking about the manna and how he is even better than that is this, is that the provision of Jesus as the bread of life for us is never conditioned on your behavior or what you've done. Jesus's provision to provide you life, if you would truly believe in him, he never says, I will provide life for you upon you believing in me if you meet a certain set of conditions, if you do enough, if you've earned it enough. And we can realize this based on, yes, the teaching of all of scripture, but specifically how God provided manna for his people in the wilderness. See, there's sometimes verses that you read if you read through the Bible. And this is a verse for me that I've read this verse many times before, but it never, like this week actually stopped and thought about it. And it stuck out to me in an entirely new way. And it's the last verse in that Exodus chapter, in Exodus 16, where God provides manna for his people. In Exodus 16, verse 35, it says this, the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And if you're normally like me, as you read through the Bible, you're like, okay, cool. They ate, what is it for 40 years? On to the next story in the book of Exodus. Like who really cares about that verse? And then I start to think, what were the 40 years in the wilderness like 
for the children of Israel. Was it just days of obedience and faithfulness and honor to God? It was their spiritual walk was up and to the right. And so God was like, here is manna because you are such good children following after me. Here is more manna to provide for you. If you know anything about the story of the people of Israel in the wilderness, it was a roller coaster of faith, often crashing and burning in horrible ways. Well, one example of this, Moses is called up to the mountain where he gets the Ten Commandments. Right, So Moses leaves the camp. He goes up onto Mount Sinai. There's this fire up there. Moses meets with God, and he doesn't return in the same amount of time that the people of Israel think he should come back. And so what do they do? They start grumbling and complaining. That's a common response in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers of the people of Israel. They start grumbling and complaining. By the way, the verses we skipped over in John chapter 6, what did the Jews do? They started grumbling and complaining about Jesus teaching he's the bread of life. He's referencing back to the wilderness there. But they start grumbling and complaining. And so they go to Aaron and they say, well, what should we do? And he's like, well, let's build a God. So bring all of your gold jewelry that you have and we'll make it into something. By the way, if you remember the Exodus story, how did they get all the gold jewelry? God made the Egyptians give it to them. It's not theirs. It's the Egyptians that God provided for them. And so they take all this jewelry, they make it, form it into their own God and start worshiping this other God. Moses walks down from the Mount of Sinai after God tells him what's happening, right? God's like, so I got some bad news right now. Uh, you know, commandment number one, thou shalt have no other God before me. Yeah, they, they, they're, they're breaking that one right now. You know, commandment number two, don't make any graven image. Yeah, they're breaking that one right now too. And Moses walks down, sees all this happen. It's this utter faith failure for the people of Israel. A total faith failure, right? God so much is like, maybe I should just wipe them out and start again. Like that's how much of a failure it was. Total failure on behalf of all the people. What happens the next morning when they went, woke up and went outside? There was manna. They had just had a spectacular failure the day before. What still happened the next day? God provided for them. There was still manna. What happened the day after the people of Israel conquered Jericho and walked around in great faith and God provided for them? There was manna there to sustain them and provide for them. What happened after the battle of Ai when they had lived in sin and it was a horrible defeat and there was such great shame on the people? They walked out and there was manna there. See, God provided his bread for the people of Israel, not just in the good days, but on their greatest days of failure as well. God still provided for them. See, God provides for us, not just when we get our life together, but he provides for us in our faith failures. And some of us, there's this lie that we can tell ourselves that, okay, I I, I get what Jesus has done. I got to clean myself up a little bit first. I got to get my life organized. There's some seriously wrong things that I'm going through. And so I got to fix myself a little bit before I come to Jesus. That's the total backwards and opposite way of how we go about this. Jesus says, in the midst of your biggest failure, come to me because I'm still the bread of life. And eternal life is found in me, not when you clean your life up, but right in the midst of your failures. For some of you this morning, you're like, did my family member call you last night? Like, did my, did my spouse text you? That's the Holy Spirit saying it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter 
how you've tried to live your life. Jesus doesn't look at you and say, hey, when you get your life together, now I'll provide salvation for you. He says, in the biggest failure that you are right now, your lowest moment, he says, come come to me. Simply believe in who I am. Believe in what I have done for you. And that's where salvation is found. That just as God faithfully provided manna in the wilderness for his people in the good and in the bad, Jesus is our bread of life. He's our salvation in our best days and in our worst days. And all we have to do is simply believe in him. He continues in John chapter 6, the, the second part of verse 51. He says, or for, hold for 51, we'll start this. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The third message that Jesus is giving to the crowds here is that Jesus saves us through the cross. Jesus's salvation comes through us, to us through the cross. There is a clear turning point in how Jesus is using this metaphor at the, the end of verse 51. Right, he's talking about bread and manna and the people are like, okay, okay, we get it. And then he's like, and um, the bread I give to, for the world is my flesh. And some they're like, wait, what? Come again, Jesus? Like, you want us to eat? you? Like, is this cannibal? Like, Jesus, what, 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 Jesus, are you talking about? Right? They get really confused. And Jesus leans into this more, right? You have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Eating here, as he's talking about it throughout the whole part of this, this story, is eating in the Bible is often language of belief. Is eating is language of belief that you're not just seeing something, but you're participating in it and making it true in your own life. The psalmist picks up on this in Psalm 34 when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience the goodness of God as you believe in him. See, eating is participation. We experience the benefits of it. And what Jesus is doing here by kind of mystifying the crowd is what Jesus is doing here is, is what every great storyteller does. He's doing a little bit of foreshadowing. Right? He's giving them a little bit of a hint of what's to come. They're like, what in the world is he talking about? That a couple years later, they'll be like, oh, that's what he was talking about. And luckily for us, we're not in the crowds confused because we know the story as Jesus does it. See, what Jesus is talking about here of eating my flesh and drinking my blood, he, he comes back to at another Passover celebration. A year or two or three years later in the gospel of Luke, it's recorded for us this way. Luke 22, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, Jesus is the bread of life because his body was broken unto death. And the feeding of the 5,000 bread was broken and multiplied and provided temporary relief of hunger for thousands of people. On the cross, the bread of life was broken for us and eternal life is now offered to us forever because of what Jesus has done for us. And this metaphor that Jesus picks up of him being the bread of life is again transformed when he partakes of the Passover here. And he says the church should continue to do this. Why? Because as we continue to take this bread and remember that Jesus' body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us. When we partake of communion together, we're saying, yes, I still believe that. Yes, it's still true. We are participating again in active belief and faith and trust and what God in Jesus has done for us. The Lord's Supper is not a means of grace. That's once and for all what Jesus has done on the cross, but it is a means of reminding us of his grace, that we are saved because his body was broken for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul put it this way, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we close our service together today. We're going to sing in just a moment, but first we're going to take communion together. This bread that we have represents the bread of life that Jesus proclaimed to be, and his body was broken. His blood was shed on the cross so that you and I could have life. If you didn't get a communion cup when you came in, you can slip your hand up. We have a couple ushers who'd be glad to get them to you. We have a few on this side this morning, some up front over here as well, if we could get it. But as we just take a few moments to pause and reflect, remind yourself again that this bread of life that Jesus provides for you, it's not because of what you've done. It's not because of what you've earned. It's purely because of his grace and his love. And his body was broken as the bread of life so that we could have life. Let's pause and reflect, and in a few minutes or a few moments, one of our elders, Adam Grelly, will pray for us, and I'll lead us as we partake of the elements together. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can partake in communion today, Lord, especially as we recognize, Lord, that you are the bread of life, Lord, that you have given yourself for us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, when we seek lesser things, Lord, lesser breads that certainly can only uh, satisfy us temporarily. Lord, fill us with your goodness and your truth, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.